It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you did. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 at the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. With Paul Dottino and Jeff Fiegels, Lance Meadow with you as we are going to break down all that is happening, of course, with the New York football Giants, OTA number nine today. We'll get into that and a lot more and also multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program. 201-939-4513. You could use hashtag Giants chat on Twitter. You could also interact with each of us on our own Twitter handles. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere and at Giants.com slash podcast. So they are wrapping up pretty much the OTA session. Then next week we'll have the three-day mandatory minicamp. Brian Dable spoke earlier today. And not a whole lot of takeaways, guys, from that conversation. But I think probably the biggest storyline right now is the players that are wearing red jerseys. He wouldn't necessarily commit to everybody being ready to go for mandatory minicamp. Everyone's in a different situation. Specifically, Andrew Thomas and Kayvon Thibodeau seem to be the two guys that everybody's focusing on, mainly because Thibodeau's been on the side doing his own work as opposed to being in a lot of the team and individual activities. But to me, Paul, it seems as if Dable, like any other coach, he's not going to commit to any definitive timeline because things are fluid right now, especially since they're not putting the pads on at this point. That's correct. It's only June, and there's really no impetus to get a guy out there sooner than he needs to be. And as far as Thibodeau is concerned... Let me just give you a, a short description because the media was here at OTAs today so we can talk about what we saw. Thibodeau was on the bikes. He was doing uh, stepping drills uh, on the uh, the ground ladder, if you will. He was doing short sprints. Uh, he was getting stretched out. It's not like he's immobile. He is out here on the practice field, or should I say next to the practice field, working with the trainers, does not appear to be limited in terms of mobility or discomfort. So certainly whatever tweak that he has, it's something that's minor. And it's my anticipation, a coach even said, he may be cleared next week for the mandatory minicamp. It's my anticipation that they're just doing this as a precaution to make sure that the mandatory minicamp is a little bit more important than the OTAs. And why tweak him further this week or last week if you really want him to try to take some reps next week. That's how I interpret this whole thing. Well, and also you could say, why not try to overwork him? Just wait till training camp. He's going to yeah. have a month off anyway, and then whatever he is dealing with, he can easily recover by sure. then too. Sure, so which is why if he doesn't practice next week, I would not sound the alarms for that either. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't think, Jeff, the level is overwhelming in terms of the urgency to get him on the field. I think if somebody's not available to start a training camp and a month's gone by, you know, then we could have a different conversation. But the other reason why there's no win-win situation if you're Brian Dable to come out and say he's absolutely going to be ready at the end of July. What happens if, God forbid, a player has a setback and then all of a sudden they said, well, you were on the record saying everything looked like he was going to have the green mm -hmm. light. There's no point to me in having any definitive timetable connected to any player. Yeah, and if you put a timetable and he doesn't come back on that certain timetable, then the media is going to be all over it. Like, what's the matter? Is it is it more than you thought it was? This and that. So, I mean, listen, this is all, um, you know, the mandatory minicamp. The mandatory minicamp, it's nothing different than the OTA other than the fact you have to be here. They're doing the same stuff. 
So it's not like they're going to put pads on a minicamp and they're going to go out there and bang it around. It's just still the same thing. It's going to be the last uh, sessions, if you will, f until training camp starts. But, um, you know, a lot of times, too, guys, it's just a matter of how the guys feel, how they make it through their their rehab. And if, if the trainers feel that they're they're good to go, they're going to practice. Um, but they got to be 100 percent, you know. So if you're 99 percent, you're not going to go. They're right. going to hold you off. Right. And I think Dable told us today the meetings will be a little bit longer. And yep. although he didn't address it, I think the 11-on-11s 11 and 7-on-7 7 sessions will be a little bit longer too. But there's not much difference. No, it's still not. flag football. They're, yeah. they're still not getting in pads and hitting yeah. each other. The, big, the biggest thing with the guys that are in the red jerseys is that they're getting their work in like they're supposed to. Mm -hmm. The other part of it is that they're participating in the meetings and they're, walk, and they're doing stuff on the field. The, you know, we call them the mental reps. It's the only thing they could do if you have a red jersey. You do the mental reps. So those are important. It's important that they're here rehabbing and on the field going through the stuff that they need to do. Because, by the way, we've talked about this many times. Once they get to minicamp, they're going to put the final touches on all the preparation that they've been doing for the new playbook and things like that. Then once they hit training camp, those guys got to know that stuff. So it's important for them to be in the meetings even though they're hurt. Lance, one other thing I think that we need to make very clear here today, and that is Dable's been telling people all throughout the spring, don't pay attention to the lineups that I'm using in OTAs because it doesn't mean anything. He's simply trying to get guys in and out. For example, right, the Giants have a bunch of top-flight receivers who are not participating right now. They got red jerseys on Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Toney. So what does that mean? Well, that means receivers like Sills and Board and Robinson and Toivonen, a, a bunch of a bunch of receivers, uh, James. A bunch of receivers are being worked in and rotated in with the first team, the second team, and the third teams. They're okay. constantly rotating, constantly switching. And so you can't read anything into that. It's no. simply that he is mixing and matching. Now, what he is trying to do, it seems to me, Jeff, and you've watched some of these as well, it seems to me what he is trying to do is keep the offensive line units, for the most part, together. He's not doing a ton of rotations with the depth chart there mm -hmm. because I think he wants those guys yeah. to be working together as much as they can. Well, there's the, here, here's the C word, the continuity. We right. use it every year. Yeah, right. Great to have continuity in that offensive line. And so, yeah, there's going to be a little mix and matching there, but for, for a majority of it, they want to keep the team that's going to be in there. For the line. For the line. Now, yeah. uh, however, for the skill positions, I will tell you, he has been mixing and matching and twisting and turning with all kinds of combinations the entire time. So anybody who reads somebody posting on Twitter, this was the first team. You know, 15 minutes later, that guy isn't on the first team anymore. He's on the second team because he's already flipped and switched somebody out. Sure. So do not, do not, folks, Look at Twitter, see a lineup that's on Twitter or in a story or in a blog and believe that it means diddly because it doesn't. Well, and plus with Andrew Thomas wearing a red jersey, they're mixing in guys at left tackle anyway. And that's Absolutely, just by default 100%. So you're down, you're starting left tackle. Somebody else is going to be in there. That doesn't mean it's going to look like that in week one. That's why really getting back to Jeff's point, OTAs and mandatory minicamp, however you want to spin it, it really the biggest benefit to me is more of the mental side of things learning the playbook being involved in meetings going through the motions looking mm -hmm. back at it film really 
emphasizing the fundamentals more so than anything. Then training camp, when they put the pads on, you're actually able to get a little bit more physical. You take it up a notch. But when you're a coaching staff, you have a new scheme. You want to try to mix and match guys as much as possible because you want to give them a taste of where you have to line up, what the goal is on this play and that play. And remember, guys, Dabo made that clear. If you go back to his pressers during the draft, he said to the media, he said, guys, don't take notes very carefully during OTAs and minicamp because I'm going to move guys around. So the way it looks one day is not going to be the way Mm -hmm. that it looks the following day. And the other thing is, to me, this is the time where you want to get some of the guys on the back end of the depth chart, some work going through the motions because come preseason, come training camp, when you have your ones in and you want that continuity and that chemistry, you're not going to have the luxury to mix and match. So better these guys on the back end get some work now Mm -hmm. so they have the comfort zone to go out there when they have limited reps to truly show what they can do in order to try to solidify a roster spot. There's also a lot of question marks about some of these guys that are, you know, street free agents, even the draft picks and things like that, that they they want to they know if they can play other positions. You know, they might be a Y or an X or a Z, whatever you want to call it. They want to maybe see if you can, you can play this other position. Um, maybe a cornerback and play a little bit of safety, vice versa. So that's why mixing around, linebackers, same thing. Again, with the offensive linemen, not as much as you see the mixing and matching it there, but you got to understand some of these guys have to be able to play multiple positions. So I think that's important. But the the point that you hit, Lance, I think is the most important, is that these guys have the time to understand the concept and how these schemes are going to work and how the playbooks are going to work both in through all three phases of the game. Because, you know, not only are you working off as a defense, we always forget to talk about the special teams component right. about it. And that's sure. where a lot of these guys are still getting a lot of their work. I think one of the very noticeable positions where they're interchanging guys out, the wide receiver spots, every one of these receivers, if you are able to watch these practices, you'll find every one of them gets reps as an X, a Y, and a Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to. They're all over the place, okay? David Sills, big six-foot-four guy. Mm -hmm. He's even gotten reps as a big slot, right? okay? That's just the way it is. Dable has given everybody the whole salad bar. Yeah. I don't know if any of you guys had a chance to – I was watching the Ranger game last night um, before the Ranger game came on. Let's go, Rangers! (laughs) Boy, I tell you what, those guys can play at home now. Um, But they had the the AFC playoff game with the – Buffalo Bills and, and and the excuse me the Kansas City Chiefs on last night from last year. Oh my. So talk about a, a you know a way to look at kind of what the Giants offense is going to look like from both standpoints. Pretty interesting. It was really exciting. I'm just I was actually picturing of course if the Giants had a Travis Kelsey it would be amazing, but the fact is that watching these two offenses run the way that they do and man, I'll tell you what, you look at that offense for the Buffalo Bills, they got a lot of short little guys on that team, man. Yeah, you know what's funny about that? <laughs> well, a veteran NFL guy who I've known for decades uh, said to me after that game when it was played last season, and you'll love this, Lance, he said to me, why does it always look like the Giants aren't playing the same game as those teams? <laughs> well, we've been saying that for a while. <laughs> yeah. and, and now I think they're going to. I hope so. Well, at least we think they are. Yeah. Well, it comes down to the level of execution. You mm-hmm. can have all the talent in the world. Right, if Lance. there's no right organization or guys are not on the same page, it really – doesn't matter at the end of the day because even if you go to the Bills and the Chiefs and we've talked about this on this show that 
lineup is not loaded with pro bowlers or mm-hmm. all pro players. First of all, it'd be impossible for the entire roster to go to their yeah. respective games and so forth. But they just have guys that are comfortable with the scheme. And I think that they played with one another for some mm-hmm. time. Remember, Dable was there in 2018. That was year one. You had a young quarterback in Josh Allen who just came into the league, okay, so he was growing up as Dable was implementing his offense, and, you know, they had revamped the offensive line. So the point is everyone was really on the same page, and I think that was a big product, why that team made the jump, as opposed to some other teams you have – Seven guys come in one year. Eight guys come in the other year. And then they lose two of the seven guys they brought in the previous year because of free agency. And it's hard to build chemistry. And then you have injuries. I think what benefited Buffalo and Kansas City, and I put Kansas City slightly behind Buffalo, but the way that team was groomed seemed to happen simultaneously. And I think that's a big reason why the Bills were able to show some significant progress, maybe quicker than more teams compared to what's happened in NFL history. Well, I That's mean, been listen, the more, the more the more players are, that are going to be on the same page, when you look at all the shifts and motions that both those teams do, more so in Kansas City than I think in Buffalo, but the fact is that if you don't know what you're doing, well, number one, you're not going to be on the field, and number two, you're going to screw up a lot of plays, and then they won't be on the field after that. So I think as far as, like you said, I think the more that they can get comfortable with all these motions and shifts and things that they do – then the better off the offense will run and more productive they'll be and more difficult it will be for the defense to adjust and how to play these guys. Because when you got all these shifts and motions going everywhere, you are, you're, you're shifting things to the strong side, the weak side of a defense. And if you're not in the right position, the play's not going to work. And so that's when you get a little bit frustrated. So it's very important that these guys are on the same page. However, it is young. It is new. A lot of new guys. And so I think going forward, as you mentioned, Lance, Back when Brian Dable had Josh Allen 2018 up to 2021, you can see how that was a, a fine-tuned machine. That, that, that team last year, their offense was pumping it out, boy. I mean, they were legit. And as far as moving wide receivers around, as Paul brought up, if you remember when Tyke Tolbert was here as the wide receivers coach, every time he was asked about your approach, he goes, I'm teaching players the entire scheme. I'm not teaching them a specific position. So I would say that's been a principle that really has been implemented. If you just look at the positional Mm -hmm. coach, he was always emphasizing guys have to know every spot because in the event that injury happens, and this really goes back to, I think, if Brian Dable and his staff sit down and the valuable lesson they learn from what's happened with this team is since the wide receiver position, for the most part, has been hammered by injuries, it's more of a reason why I would be moving these guys around like crazy because you don't know when week three and week four come around. If you don't have your top three guys, then you say to yourself, well, you know what? During a few OTAs and mandatory minicamp, the reason why we move those guys around, so now when player A goes down due to injury, we could call up player E on the depth chart. He could come in and we don't have to worry about, well, you know what? We never put him in the X or the Y position, so we're a little bit worried about whether or not he can handle that. You sort of, you protect yourself. It serves Mm -hmm. as an insurance policy if you at least move guys around now because you know you're not going to have the luxury to do that once the regular season comes around. Lance, it's exactly the opposite, though, for the offensive line. Unlike Joe Judge, who was very willing to rotate guys and work guys in, especially the young players, this is a different set of circumstances with this offensive line. You now have a bunch of veterans who have been brought in to work with some guys who have been here for a couple of years, and you have a number one pick in Evan Neal who you want to start week one, and you want him to get every single rep this season that he possibly can get. 
So this year, there is no logic whatsoever to be rotating any of those offensive linemen out of any snaps. They need to be together every single snap and every single step of the way, barring injury. Well, and also the offensive line and the wide receiver position are very different. For example, if you swap out wide receivers, the way that the guy runs the route on the left side is not necessarily going to influence the guy on the right side unless it's some crossover route where timing is so imperative. So I think you can get away with rotating wide receivers and the quarterback is going to take what the defense gives him or he's going to direct it in the direction of what the play is designed to go to. Whereas with the offensive lineman, the left guy at left tackle needs to know the movement of the left guard. If you start moving guys around, it's hard to build chemistry. So I think just the dynamics of those positions by default are imperative to not play a revolving door game where you're just rotating guys every three plays. But I do think it is important, very similar to my aspect about the wide receiver position, that you do at least expose some guys who you think have versatility to different spots because now is the time to do that because, once again, once the regular season starts, it's no different than the backup quarterback is going to wind up being, as you pointed out, Jeff, he's going to have to take mental reps Mm -hmm. during the regular season. Tyrod Taylor is going to go from a guy that's, getting a lot of activity to pretty much just observing what Daniel Jones does. Now, Tyrod Taylor is a veteran. He's not at the point in his career where, oh, my God, if we don't give him reps, we're going to be in trouble. But for other teams who have a younger backup quarterback position, you go for you go from having a lot of activity to all of a sudden becoming an observer once the regular season starts. So that's more of a reason why I'm saying during OTAs and minicamp is the time that I think you should, when the moment calls for it, to bring in some guys who are not necessarily penciled in to be your starting lineup at the beginning of the season. I agree. Okay. I just didn't know if you wanted to add something to the point that you it brought was well up said. earlier, Jeff. Nothing okay. to add There to you that. go. All right. No <laughs> holes to fill in as we move along here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat. We're going to open up the lines here in a second. First, a few reminders. Giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2022 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seats starting at just 100 bucks. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss your chance to experience premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2022 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you can place a deposit for individual games. This one, also call 888-NYG-1925, or you can visit Giants.com slash suites for more information. Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegels, Paul Dettino with you here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's head to the lines. We got Tim in Charleston joining us. What's happening, Tim? Hey, guys. Good to talk to all three. It's been a while. Sure. Hi, Tim. Um, uh, so they switched my off day to Thursday, so no more Wednesday calls. Now it's going to be Thursday. I know you care a lot, but anyway. <laughs> well, we're, we're actually we're marking that down as we speak now, not to anticipate Thank your you. call you, on Lance. a Thursday. Yes, I know. I, I I know you're the you're the record keeper of the group. So one hundred. Two quick things. One on something that you said, Lance, about um, OTAs being mental reps. I agree, one hundred percent. The one thing you didn't mention, I think, is a big part of it is building the camaraderie, the esprit de corps. So that's that's just the one thing I wanted to add to that. And um, one scenario that I'm looking forward to the regular season to see, uh, and I'm not sure what that for me, what the for you call it, imagining or fantasizing or whatever, but I, I, I I'm looking forward to hopefully seeing in the, here and there 
where they line up the three wide receivers in that little triangle outside. Mm-hmm. You mean the bunch? I don't know what the that, bunch formation. The bunch, right? The bunch formation. Thank mm-hmm. you, Paul. And and having Tony uh, Robinson and 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 um, uh, Saquon all out there at the same time, I would love to see the looks on the defensive backs' faces at that moment and how they would cover that. What do you think? I just, I, I just, just something I've been musing on, and I wanted to share with you guys. I'll take it off the air. Thanks. Oh, well, you'll probably get a linebacker out there too. Nothing's off the table no. with this offensive scheme. Yeah. Let me just make that yeah. very, very clear. Don't be surprised Nothing about anything. Is off the table. Yeah. Nothing. Uh, yeah, they're going to try to capitalize with all the talent, but you know, once again, I, I don't think the trips formation, the bunch formation, is something that is new to the NFL. So as far as as far as the caller's point goes, yeah, you're certainly worried about the talent, but I don't think defenses are going to be caught off guard. I think they're going to have a game plan, especially if they have an idea that the Giants will run something like that. No different than what we've seen out of other formations for various teams across the world. Well, it's just different because it's not something you're used to the Giants running, and you certainly would not be used to seeing the Giants personnel be running it. I mean, nobody really knows in the NFL exactly what Wandale Robinson is. They probably don't even have enough tape on Tony to truly know what he is either. And certainly with all the time that Barkley's missed, and Barkley's never run a bunch formation while he's been with the Giants, if you bring that out all of a sudden in week two and you show that, yeah, that's going to cause problems. A defense is going to be like, what in the heck are they showing us now? And that's going to happen a lot in the first month of the season. It is. Well, well, and I wouldn't be surprised, but I'm saying I think there is enough tape to say that there's speed between Barkley and Tony and elusiveness that you have to be aware if those guys are lining up in a certain spot sure. that if you don't handle your business, they'll just run right by you. Because remember, no doubt. that Saquon Barkley play against the Saints when he caught the pass and then ran it all the way in mm-hmm. for a touchdown, I think that caught New Orleans off guard a little. No and also, you had other players distract on the opposite side of the field. So, you know, those are the dynamics I think some teams will at least be aware of. I'll give, based you, an on exam- how been I'll give you an example, us. Lance, of something that they won't have any idea what's coming. Okay? If they run a bunch like that, they might run Barkley on the go route down the sideline out of the bunch. And they might keep Wondell Robinson right near the line of scrimmage for a potential horizontal throw, like a, like what would be a receiver screen, and they might send Tony over the middle on a slant. Now, if you see a running back with two right receivers on a bunch, chances are you're not thinking that that's going to be the primary route combination. But that's something that the Giants may very well throw at you. <clears throat> it will be a unique route combination out of a formation that everybody thinks they know what they're going to do, but they won't. And also, remember, Tony's a threat to throw the ball, too. They could have him, and then all of a sudden, they throw him a pass as a parallel receiver. They could run a bunch formation and have Wondell Robinson actually come come behind into the backfield and take an end around to the other direction. Because he was a running back in in Nebraska. Yeah, or Barkley could run, too. I mean, this is what I'm talking about. Folks, you're not going to recognize this team, I'm telling you. Everything is on the table for this offensive scheme. I've seen it already. Moving along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live, 201-939-4513. Let's check in with Cliff in New York. Cliff, what's happening? How you doing, guys? Great stuff today, as usual. Um, uh, I heard the word organized today. Uh, You know, uh, it seems like uh, the uh, communication and coordination uh, problem that uh, John Mara mentioned in his press conference a couple months ago uh, has been addressed structurally 
you know, with the lines of commute, with the relationships between the uh, general manager and the coach and the coaches and the assistant coaches and the coaches and the players. You know, there's all this experience, and I'm really looking forward to seeing how they do. Meanwhile, we, we've had some go-arounds about Daniel uh, running the ball the last couple of weeks. And, uh, you know, I was reminded that last year I, I had a go-around with John Schmelk about this, and uh, I was surprised to, to hear that they really weren't sure about Daniel's 2020 injury, the one that uh, uh, caused Colt McCoy to step in, uh, how that happened. You know, it wasn't clear how it happened. So the, the point being, uh, it's not so clear that when he running the ball is, is what, what causes him to get hurt. So his durability is a big question mark, as Wait we a minute. all know. It was clear what happened. He got hurt on a scramble. He, he went around the left side. scramble in 2020? Yeah. In 2020? Yeah. He went, he, went, he went. What he what he did was he ran. He, it was a, it was a quarterback run. Whether or not it was designed or it was a impromptu, he ran around the left side, uh, went downfield. I can't remember if it was eight yards, ten yards, something of that nature. And as he was as he went down, and they they got to him. That's where the initial tweak happened. Sure, we know what happened. Okay. Okay. Well, that that brings my to the other point I wanted to make too, because when we came up with this. When you guys came up with this, you know, you're comfortable with three or four runs a game. Uh, that that I would hope that scrambles don't count uh, in that calculation, and that it's like we mean design runs, either from the offensive coordinator or uh, as an audible, because I think there's some enthusiasm for having this guy run from this this coaching staff. Um, when they were uh, first asked about Daniel and, and we heard what they had to say, they would say two or three things, and one of the things they would say was, he can run, you know, and there was something about the way he said that, you know, that the way they said that that made me think they really want him to run. And I think he's demonstrated some I – don't, I don't know how to look up the stats, but I, I think he's demon, Daniel has demonstrated some serious production in the running game. He doesn't look like Patrick Mahomes, and, he, and he's never going to look like – Josh Allen, but I thought the numbers um, that were there in terms of how many yards he would get on a given drive with his feet on design runs and, and audibles, and I, I think we're going to be seeing that, and um, you know maybe it's the scrambles that are more risky for getting hurt than a design run. Well, I think you both you have the propensity to get hurt on any of those things. Yeah. I just think what you need to do is Daniel Jones has to understand. And we talked about this a couple of years ago is just when when it's the right time to just get down, how to slide and get out of bounds. You know, he's going to take some hits. That's just, you know, you're going to you're going to have to take that chance if you are going to design or he's going to get out on a scramble that there's a risk there. But I think, you know, a guy like Josh Allen, who's got a little bit more of a a girth to him can absorb some of those hits sometimes. You know, Daniel's a big guy, but he's tall and lean. So um, he just has to be a little bit smarter with things that are going on. But don't think for a minute that if you get out there and it, just because it's a design run that you're not going to have a propensity to get hurt. It's just it, it's every player has that chance. When you, Guys uh, are trying to hit you regardless. Well, especially goal is to especially the down. quarterback, the kicker, yeah. and the punter. They, they want to kill you, those yeah. three guys. <laughs> you know you that. Because you can't hit them normally. You of know what course. I'm saying? They're protected. But once they're unprotected, then, then, it's, then you're in their house. <laughs> to, to clarify yeah. the caller's earlier comment, yeah, I mean, to me, absolutely. Three or four runs a game, that's, that's it for me. That's my comfort zone. But in terms of the scrambles, let me make sure we understand here what we're talking about there are two types of scrambling quarterbacks there are those who scramble because they do want to run and advance the ball mm -hmm. 
Then there's the other kind of scrambling quarterback who is simply running around horizontally behind the line of scrimmage to buy time so that he can throw the ball. Fran Tarkenton was the ultimate scrambler who was buying time to throw the ball. He was running to throw as opposed to scrambling or running to run. It is the quarterback who scrambles or runs to run that I'm allergic to. I don't want any part of that guy. I'm which much more comfortable. Which one do you think we're getting from this? Which I, one think, do you think I think we're, we're getting? getting. I think we're getting a quarterback who is going to scramble to throw. I believe that, from what I have seen during the spring, Daniel Jones is going to be doing a lot more running and movement to throw the ball, and that makes me very happy. And he's had a number of big runs, Cliff. I mean, nobody's disputing yes. that. He's been productive, but, you know, once again, it's to me it's the volume. It's over the course of a season, the accumulation of the runs then expose him to more and more hits. And Josh Allen ran a lot. Some of it was by design, and some of it was, hey, he's more than comfortable in letting loose because there's nothing down the field for him to do. But I think the Bills, they felt as if he has the body and the makeup, and he's proven to be durable also because he hasn't knock on wood suffered a major injury that, you know, they'll let that go a little. With Daniel, Daniel doesn't have that level of durability. So you really can't compare what the Bills did with Josh Allen and think that they're going to absolutely duplicate that playbook. Because I think oh, no. that would put him in a very precarious spot. Josh Allen's to get a tight hurt. end. Let's yeah, face correct. it. Correct. So and He's that's a tight what oh, he takes off. Yeah, but that's what we've been emphasizing. I mean, there's really no, there's that's nothing very, unique. It's all we've been saying. No, that's very season. clear. That that's very clear. When Daniel impressed me, it was it wasn't so much the big runs like the 80 yarder against the Eagles, which should be remembered as resulting in a touchdown and nothing else, by the way. But but. Um, uh, uh, what impressed me was when he ran some shorter runs during the course of a drive, and it added up to 30 or 40 yards on the drive. That's when it impressed me. Sure, and I think there's going to be room to do that. All we're saying is is that you have to walk the fine line of how many times do you want him to do that over the course of the game as opposed to, hey, just give it to the running back and let him absorb the hits as opposed to Daniel Jones. Because I think, once again, Daniel has yet to prove that he'd get through an entire season. So you can't just sign up Cliff to assume this is going to be the year he gets through a whole season when he has yet to prove that. Absolutely. We're all looking forward to him getting through 15 games minimum. I think that would be a huge step in the right direction. And appreciate Absolutely. the phone call. Absolutely. 15, you'll, you'll take that. You won't no, have any complaints yeah. with 15. I mean, that still would be, though, you're missing at least two starts. But if you could go 15 and maybe not miss a chunk, because there's also been periods of time where he's mm-hmm. missed a chunk, yeah. where you're now multiple games without him. If something happens at the beginning of the year, or something happens late in the year, okay, so be it. The wear and tear of the season. You just want to avoid an injury that happens early, and then all of a sudden we're talking about three to four straight games where he's unavailable, because that disrupts, obviously, the continuity on offense. And I think, and I yeah. think Daniel, I think Daniel understands what he needs to do, and I think that the one thing that he can't, I guess, uh, think about, is that going out on the field and I can't get hurt. I can't get hurt. Like, he can't play that way. You know what I mean? You just can't sure. do that because if you do, you're probably going to get hurt. And so you got to go out there and just do what you do to prepare to play, and then let everything just kind of just you know work itself out. Now there's going to be these plays that guys can't control. 
There's times when players get taken out, knee injuries, things like that. There's just, just not, it, it's nothing that that guy could have done that didn't that this happened to him. You know what I'm saying? So I think the other hand of it, I think that he understands what he needs to do from the football part of it, and that's just being consistent and doing what this offense wants him to do. Obviously not turn the ball over, but I want to be consistent as far as his pass percentage and getting the ball into the into the hands of the right receiver on some of his reads. That's a big thing too, and I think that Mike Kafka – being the ex-quarterback that he is, that he was, excuse me, and understanding how Patrick Mahomes ran that offense in Kansas City, making the right decisions is a big thing in any offense. And that's one thing that he's going to have to work on and be good at. The phrase that I utilize when it comes to Daniel Jones is preventative measures. Okay? <laughs> yeah. no, that, that it's like to preventative me, based, medicine. <laughs> yeah, based on what you're talking about, Jeff, yeah, it's not going back to last season saying, oh, you know, Daniel made such a bad decision, he got hurt. You're right. Things are going to happen. Guys sometimes land on you awkwardly. What are you <laughs> going to do? You're going to watch the film 35 times and say on the 36th time you come to the realization, well, if I slid more to the left as opposed to the right, <laughs> I would have – prevented myself from getting hurt no it's just when I say preventative measures meaning if there's an opportunity to slide as opposed to going an extra three yards and it saves you from getting a hit so be it if there's an opportunity to run out of play and you sacrifice two to three yards so be it those are the types of things that add up over the course of a season and then you start to feel it week 10 and week 11 and then you get hit on it again and that's what cost you an opportunity to be available for a game Yep. So that's the way that at least I'm looking at it. It's not saying, hey, put him in bubble wrap, never let him run. No, no. you want him to run. Yeah. It's a weapon. It's a skill set. But I think you could walk the fine line of not overdoing it so that you make sure that he will be out there more often than and, not. And situational stuff, okay? I mean, there's certain times when Daniel Jones can get up to the line of scrimmage and understand that he's got a play call. But you know what? I got a better chance of making uh, a good play by changing the play and letting me run. I mean, there's sometimes a defense, it give, you take what they give you. I mean, you can get up to the line of scrimmage and say, oh, my God, look at this. This play is, this play is not going to run. This play is not going to work against this defense. But what will work is if we maybe fake this run and then I take off. That well, happens all Eli the time. Eli was great at getting out of bad plays. Sure. But he wasn't going to call many runs for himself. No, I'll tell but, you that. <laughs> but I think both of these guys are cerebral enough to get out of the plays. And yes. you're right. But I think that Daniel Jones can have a chance to get. And maybe that's maybe the one or two of those plays a game that – that I don't know if they're 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 obviously not design plays, but we could count them in there. I mean, if you got three design plays for Daniel Jones and he he takes two of them on his own by changing the play, you're still only going to have three three of those. You're not going to have this. You're not going to say, okay, well we, he called those on his own and we still got those other three. Now he's up to five and six a game. I don't know about that. Just do the math. Five times seventeen. If he lasted long, that's a lot of running for a quarterback. It's a lot of hits. Well, and here's the thing, whether they're designed or whether they're freelance, if you want to call it, sure. they still add up the same way. That's what they I'm still saying. ran, yeah. right? That's exactly. I mean, does it right. really matter? No. It does not matter. It's just what does matter is that we don't get higher than the number that we're sent wanting him to do. That's it. That's it. That's it. Okay. Now that's up to Daniel. If all of a sudden he's got three really good runs and there's a there's another play that's just he's got to get out and run, and you just do it. You just gotta do it. But then you gotta be smart. Slide, get out of bounds, do something. I mean, to just put things in perspective here, and once again, we're not saying that they're going to duplicate what Josh Allen did, but just to show you the difference, Josh Allen has run for at least 102 times in each of the last three seasons mm. over the course of an entire year. Now, granted, he has not missed a game, okay? But Daniel, who has missed games, he has averaged 
about 60 runs. He had 65 in 2020 and 62 in 2021. Now, I know what a lot of people are going to say, well, if Daniel stays healthy, you know, those numbers would go up. But you don't know if you want to see those numbers go up. That's our point. Because if the numbers do go up, you're now asking him to absorb more hits. And then it could come back to bite you at the worst possible situation. So there's a distinct difference between what Josh Allen is running, volume-wise, 122 runs in 2021. 122, and the highest Daniel Jones ever went is 65. Guys, if you did the math, you think that the Buffalo Bills, if they had Daniel Jones as their starting quarterback because the staff is carried over, you think they want Daniel Jones running 122 times? No, like Josh I hope did? not. No. I, I, yeah. And that's our point. Yeah. That is our point. No. Do not run 122 times. <laughs> What's the average? 60, you said? I'm fine with 60. Take, I'll take 60. That's, that's yeah, 65 is his high. Yeah. That's, in a single uh, season. I think that over-under would be the same, right around there. 60, somewhere in there. Yeah, and 65 came in a season in which he played 14 games. So there's room for three more games, assuming he stays mm-hmm. healthy. But even if he played three more games, we're still not scratching the surface of 100 under those circumstances. We don't want to. Yeah. No. And that was 2020, by the way. Let's head back to the Lions at 201-939-4513. John is in Cape Cod, and he joins us here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's happening, John? Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Jeff. Hello. Uh, Paul, I couldn't agree I don't get a good morning? Is that what happens? The, the aversion. <laughs> it's afternoon, that's why. Apparently, yeah. It's the antisocial version of the phone call. <laughs> yes. Even, 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 the, even the big guys... Uh, Go down. Just look at just look at Cam Newton and guys like that. Sooner or later, they run into that three hundred pounder. It's like a freight train on a pickup truck. Mm-hmm. But my question is: Do you think I'll throw this out for you? Do you think the game has changed regarding strength and conditioning? You know, I'm a gray beard, so I'll go back to in Parcells' early years. He went out. And the Giants at, at one point in his career were the second or third most injured team in the league. 1983, Bill's found, first year. He went out and found a guy named Johnny Parker. That's right. Who had a Ph.D. Mm-hmm. And maybe it was coincidence. The following year, the Giants were among the two or three least injured teams in the league. And I don't remember uh, their season being affected by in big injuries for quite a few years. Uh, Phil Sims prior to that had a couple of fluke injuries. Then he went on to be one of the most durable quarterbacks in the whole league. So uh, is it possible they need a rethink of how they're conditioning these guys? Can they be over-conditioned? Should you condition by position? Uh, Should guys be taught how to position their bodies on offense so they don't take the big hits, a.k.a. AKA Russell Wilson. Can you teach that, or is it just inherent? Eli Um, certainly learned how to play Gumby in the pocket because he understood how to take a hit so that he would not get injured and would not be knocked out of the lineup and would be alive for the next series and for the next game. So there's no question there is a certain amount of smarts, if you will, into minimizing the kinds of hits you get. Emmett Smith was the same way as a running back. Franco Harris was the same way as a running back. Those guys understood that there were ways they could absorb the hit 
without putting themselves in a more risky position. Steve Largent was the same way as a wide receiver. Jeff, you remember Largent. You mm-hmm. played with him, I'm sure, didn't you? No. You didn't play with Largent? I You're not that old? The, I played with the Seahawks, who he played for. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Um, so, so, yes, there is a mental aptitude to being able to absorb that stuff and lessen the risk. I agree with you. There is. But here's the problem. Not everybody has that mental aptitude or wants to learn it because once you get out on the field, it's dog-eat-dog. Everybody's trying to make a play, and it's not as easy to do as it is to say. Or guys are playing for contracts. They're looking for a big year, and maybe they have incentives in their deal. I mean, all of these factors come into play. And the other thing, John, that you brought up with respect to different positions, if you look at the Giants last year, the injuries were across the board. If it was one position and you wanted to say, well, maybe they need to rethink it, you had wide receivers get hurt, you had offensive linemen get hurt, you had running backs, you had linebackers. It really was spread the wealth, for the lack of a better phrase, when it came to injuries. So I don't really think they've been plagued by one particular spot where they have to rethink their approach to that position. Yeah, I I can tell you, you know, this, I obviously played long enough in the league to understand how conditioning and things go and you know, each player's responsibility. You got to do what the what the strength coaches are going to tell you to do and how you lift. But it's also this two. It's it, it's kind of a two way street here. That the strength and conditioning coach has to understand each player, understand how they are, their their body composition. Some guys are better than others. You know, some guys take on a lot of water. Some guys don't. Some some guys don't drink a lot of water. It's all a lot of this stuff is is really it goes on the player. You got to be able to take yeah. care of your body, and and once you leave the facility here, that doesn't mean you just all of a sudden just oh, okay, I'm done. You know, you got to do things at home. You got to eat right, and those things all have an effect on conditioning, and by the way, on injuries, because there's some things you just can't handle. Like I mentioned before, freak thing. Somebody just you know falls on you and you blow out your ACL. That's just that's not because of conditioning. That's because that's a that's an unfortunate mis- something happened there. But guys running down the field, popping their hamstrings and. You know, things like that. It's just it all comes in. You got to take care of your body. You really do. And I think that when you go back to 25 years ago, the science is so different than it was today. The science today is really helps. They got GPS on these guys. I mean, they know how many steps and how much time that they're exerting their body. So there is a true science behind all this, which you hope can carry on to help you keep these guys on the field, because that's what it's all about. That's why players see specialists yeah. in addition to the work they do 100%. with the strength and conditioning yeah. team. I mean, you got you yeah. got guys do it. Listen, I'll just give you a quickly. As when I was when I left the facility here, I was there was massage therapy. There was um, you had all kinds of stretching. A guy that had you had a stretching guy. You have acupuncture. You got a chiropractic. I mean, you just piling yeah. on here. Then this isn't stuff you're doing in the building. This is like at four o'clock when it's in. You you still got to go and go to those days and and those are part of your regimen. But you know. I always told the younger guys on the team, they never wanted to spend money outside the building. And I said, well, there's a, there's a term that if you, you know, the more money you spend, the more money you make in this, in this industry, that's what you got to do. You got to take care of your body. So a hundred dollar massage is okay. You're making a million dollars. You can afford it. And if you want to keep million making millions, then keep paying the hundred dollar massages. Go to the, to the massage therapist, go to the chiropractor, do these things that you have to do in order to continue your career and you'll be fine. But some of them are just too cheap. They just don't want to do it. It's like, okay, well, then how many years did you play in the league? Two, three. Well, you probably should have listened to me. The average is still three and a half, isn't it, Jeff? Not a lot. I think it's even less than that. I think it's less than that. I think it's two and a half. half. Yeah. 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 
It is. It is sad. And I tell you what, but you know, these guys just didn't, sometimes they don't listen and then it's too late. You know, and then they're trying to get back in the league because they're like, they didn't do the things that they needed to, to do to stay in the league. It's the maintenance work. That's what you have to it's keep maintenance. up with. That is exactly what it is. And every, every player that has had a successful career, whether it's six years, seven years, 10, 15, 20, there's going to be different increments of how they take care of their bodies because those, those, those ages, they get 20s, easy. 30s, not bad. 40s, not many people playing it. So, but I'll tell you, there's a lot of guys at the end of their 20s and into their 30s. That's when you got to start changing things because the body composition changes too. You, you start losing a little bit of power. You start losing. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go into playing into your 30s. Appreciate the phone call. The Thank other you. thing that I wanted to add, which I found interesting, Jeff, that you brought up with respect to every body build is different. And I believe this is accurate. Jabril Peppers used to get cramps a lot, right, guys? Isn't mm-hmm. that a fair assessment? Yes. And, Every time he'd either leave a game or during practice. So there's an example of a guy you've got to make sure you're constantly drinking water. Maybe other guys can go a little bit longer without water. So there's an example, Jeff, of I think what you were talking about. The biochemistry is Mm -hmm. different for these guys. And that is knowing your body well so that you're available on the field. If you don't take care of situations like that, if you say to yourself, hey, I've got a two-hour practice ahead. I know every 10, 15 minutes I have to make sure – that I drink Hydrate. more water, you don't do that, you don't stay hydrated, then all of a sudden you're going to be a spectator. So little things like that also can lead to injuries. Remember, uh, David Deal was a sweater. Oh, God. Oh, my goodness, this guy would sweat. <laughs> and there was days that he'd come off the field, no lie, he would lose 15 pounds at practice. Wow. That's how much he would sweat. Now, David was a smart enough guy that he's like, okay, I, he was getting IVs after practice every day. But, you know, mm-hmm. some of those guys are just like, oh, you know what? That's OK. I'll just go drink an eight ounce bottle of water. That's not you. You lost 15 pounds. That's basically like losing 16 of those those water <laughs> water bottles. Yeah. <laughs> so one's not going to help you. In fact, it's not even that's not a drop in the bucket. You need to go and get an IV and take care of yourself. But and that's just a classic example of David knowing his body yep. and uh, and cramping up and things like that. So and there's always a couple guys in the team like that and, and run. Uh, Ronnie Jones and and uh, Bar- excuse me, Ronnie Jones, Ronnie, Ronnie Barnes, Barnes and the the guy the staff here they understand body chemistry and they they do all these testing on these guys so they know who those guys are and they watch them. Deal was truly the walking melting Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> he, he really ridiculous. was. He really yeah, was. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just look at his. I mean, yeah, it's just just one big sweat mess even on our post game shows under the lights yes. oh yeah he's just sweating like crazy yeah so but you got to be careful you got to be really careful because you can get you can you can hurt yourself and that's when you know all of us have probably had it when we you know have out you know for those people who drink and you know you, you have a hangover the next day that's because you're you you're dehydrated and yep. you start all of a sudden you're getting cramps and you don't feel good though that's just because your brain and every, your body needs water and so you got to take that's- care of yourself that's why they say when you drink alcohol, you should mix in water here or there sure. with it. So this way you balance it out. That's exactly so right. There's a yep. strategy to everything in life. All right, let's head back to the lines. Matt is in New Jersey. He joins us. What's happening, Matt? Hi, Matt. Hey, guys. What's going on? Hi. You're right. What do you got for us? Uh, you guys talked last week about the offense. Um, I just want to make a few points about it. No offense to Jason Garrett, but he really did have an old school type of offense that really wasn't up to what modern offenses were. And my thoughts on this was he ran a lot of stick plays, a lot of timing-type plays that really made it hard for Daniel to really get those easy type of yards. So what I'm excited about for this offense is just give him some easy plays, easy plays to get first downs, easy first uh, first down plays, just easy passes just to get something going because 
that timing offense position, Garrett, really wasn't working out. To be fair, you can scheme it all you like. If you don't have quality players who will execute, it doesn't really matter what you put out there on the field in terms of the game plan. And I think it's 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 unjust to just go after Garrett without acknowledging the fact that the Giants, in many instances, because of injuries more than anything else, had inferior guys on the field. And and that can make a coordinator gun shy to do certain things because he knows he's got guys with limited capabilities. I think the other aspect is also, you know, that's more of a reason why you see they're bringing in guys that could do some damage after the catch. So therefore, you don't have to worry about all the nuances of the game. You just dump it off, and then as long as this guy has some open space to operate, he can get a productive first play of the drive to get things started. I think the personnel, as Paul was pointing out, you know, that makes a big difference too. You know what's funny? I heard the same crap about Ron Earhart when he was the offensive coordinator for Bill Parcells. And then suddenly in 86 and 90, the Giants with Ron Earhart as the OC won two Super Bowl championships. And then you didn't, st- you didn't hear that stuff anymore. And they were a ground, let's face it, they were a ground attack. Okay, Joe Morris on the 86 team, Rodney Hampton and Otis Anderson on the 90 team. They were a ground-based attack. They didn't do a lot of funky stuff. You didn't see a lot of bunches or stacks or end-arounds. You didn't see much of that stuff. It was a very simple, fundamental offensive scheme. Earhart and Parcells said, okay, we're just going to basically line up, and we're going to take it to you. (laughs) And, oh, well, after they won two championships, nobody was bitching about it. Yeah. All right, Matt. Yeah. You have something yeah, else to add, Matt? More harder yeah. to run that type of offense for the modern day football, or just the whole personnel wasn't really working for it. But well, how yeah, many times excited. you hear people say Kevin Kildrive? I heard that many times too, right? right? How many Super Bowl rings does that man have as an OC? He's got a couple right here with the Giants. I never thought that criticism was warranted either. That's true. I'm just excited for this new offense and what it can do now. Um, yeah, that's all. Thanks, guys. All right, Matt. Thank you. Appreciate the phone call. It's really a simple concept when you look around the National Football League. The coordinator at the end of the day is only going to be as good as the talent that he has no at his disposal. No doubt, Lance. Yeah. No it, doubt. And you know what? what? What's exciting about you're 100% correct. You just have to be able to have the general manager and the, and the head coach and the offensive coordinator putting the guys that they want in position to win, right? I mean, you just can't. Then what happens is that when you get a new organization and new coaches and things like that, you're kind of stuck with what you got unless there's going to be some changes, philosophical changes here and really make a difference. That's when things will start to happen. You know, you just can't have a six foot six wide receiver that what you want him to play slot. It's just not going to work. You know, you know, I know yeah. that's not going to happen, but my point is that that's the only guy you got to play slot and he's six foot six. I don't think it's going to work in an offense like this. So you got to, it's important to find the right people both offensively and defensively. Hence why the Giants drafted Wandell Robinson. He's a scheme-specific receiver who they went and grabbed in the second round because they know they've got plans for him. Yeah, third round, right? Was he third no, round? he was the second round. Second, oh, round. second round. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's all a blur. Oh, they right. did have 11 picks, it was the third yes. pick. He was the yes. third pick, right. but the third guy. Correct, because they had two first-rounders, yeah. exactly. Yes. Well, yeah, there you go. I mean, uh, and that's, <laughs> we've been watching. Like, like Paul said the other day, he hasn't dropped a pass in, 
in camp. I mean, he, he, and you know what, Lance, we talk about how during practice, there are some guys who can take advantage of opportunities. Well, with those three veteran receivers, hey, not man. able to run snaps. Yep. Who do you think is getting the, the benefit of that more so than sure. anybody else? Sure. It's Wandell Robinson. Well, and I would think he's going to get opportunities regardless. Well, regardless of whether or not he's going to, but he's too. getting yeah. even more sure. because yeah. they need someone to run these plays. Yeah. Well, and the other reason why, and this goes back to where we started the show, that these young guys, the rookies especially, you want to try to get them on the field more so than some of the veterans, or maybe it's a blessing in disguise that some of the veterans are not taking part in these offseason workouts is because the other challenge with the transition from the rookie class to the NFL is all of these players, Wondell Robinson included, think about what they've been doing over the last few months. They've been specifically catering their workouts to the combine and to pro day. Okay, so they've been doing specific things to showcase their skill set in a way that makes them attractive to scouts and anything else. Now you need to get them back in the mindset of football mode because a lot of things that are done for the combine as well as pro days are not necessarily football conducive to the National Football League. So that's the other reason why I think you want a guy like Robinson and all these other rookies. Get them on the field. Start reprogramming them. So that they understand, okay, we're back on track as if this was the previous offseason when you guys were simply preparing for the upcoming year. They got out of that a little bit mm -hmm. during the offseason. Every rookie goes through this. I'm not pinpointing the Giants rookies, but you talk to most general managers and coaches, the biggest challenge they have is all of the activities they've been doing for the last few months have not necessarily <clears throat> been what football. you're supposed to be exposed to, yeah. correct, Jeff, for a football season. Yeah, it's more a track training, you know, exactly. agility, improving your skills and times and doing this kind of stuff. Now you got to get back to football. Forget about all that stuff. You're on a team now. You don't we don't worry about that. We've got all the analytics we need on you. But now we just want you to go out there and see if you can learn and play the position that we either drafted you or we signed you to do. And that's important. And that's what they're getting. That's what these OTAs are all about. They're very very important as much as people think that they may not be doing much out there on the field. They're getting a lot done on and off the field, getting them prepared for training camp, especially because it's a new system, new coaches, all that kind of stuff. And they don't have a lot of time. Remember, people, we eliminated that fourth preseason game, so that shortens things tremendously by a week, maybe 10 days sometimes, because you're not going to have that extra time to catch up. You're now moving right into the regular season. Let's head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Lance Meadow, Paul Dottino, Jeff Eagles with you. Montrell is in Miami. Montrell, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, how are you, how you doing, guys? Good. Uh, You're right. I'm happy to call, call it in the wild. Uh, I just want to say, Paul, I, I definitely appreciate what you said yesterday. These guys, uh, I would definitely choose New York Giants wide receiver core over a lot of these NFL teams uh, today, to be honest with you. And mm -hmm. I think people are forgetting, yet last year, a lot of people were saying, hello? Go yeah, ahead. we're here, Montreal. We're listening. Go ahead. Okay. A lot of people were saying Giants had a dangerous core last year in, in total, but those guys, those guys end up getting injured. Now you hear people saying, oh, we have the worst in the league, which I don't agree with at all. It just wasn't, it just wasn't healthy. And if you look at uh, – Kansas City, even though I know they have a really, really good quarterback and a lot of these other teams, they have Juju Smith-Schuster as their number one and and some other guys, what, Hartman as their number two. 
Mm-hmm. Can you can you can you can you really sit here and say you rather have that receiving core over what New York Giants have right now? Let's be honest, just the receiving core. I hear Absolutely you. Absolutely not. Giants have a better receiving core than Kansas City right now. Now, of course, Kansas City will also probably tell you that second-round pick Sky Moore is going to be a big-time rookie threat, and he may be. But as you sit here today, there's got to be some doubt about that, right? Yeah, they also have Marquez Valdez-Scantling, who they brought in for the Packers as well. He's also in the mix. Yes, but, you know, those those guys are are sort of mediocre guys. And, uh, you know, I think that I don't want to. I don't want to see this this, this tight end. Uh, I can't remember his name. He's from Washington. Steel Jones. Ricky Shields uh, Ricky, Jones. Yeah, Jones. Right. Yeah. Uh, put Daniel Bellinger in there. I think Daniel Bellinger is already a better player. He's a, he's a better blocker already. Pass blocker already. Uh, I'm sure. I'm, I guarantee he's a better pass catcher because Ricky Shields Jones dropped a lot of passes last year, last mm-hmm. season. He dropped a lot of passes. Mm-hmm. So I think I think Daniel Bellinger is the I think I think he's the secret weapon. To be honest with you, I'm very intrigued by him, and and I think that at some point, if not by opening day, at some point during the season, he will probably wrestle away <laughs> that starting job. I just don't know what week it's going to be. Well, I think in the, in this offense, yeah. the the tight end, you're going to see they, they all play. You know that they, they they're in and out every situational stop. There's there's packages that these guys are in. Um, some of them are going to be in the backfield. Some of them are going to be split out on the hand in the ground. So there, he's going to get he's going to get a, a chance. So he's going to get his chance on special teams first, and then he'll be a guy that will be inserted into that offense eventually. But I think he's kind of a guy that's intriguing to watch. So now we'll you know. have to remember something about Ricky Seals Jones, and we've been talking about chemistry and familiarity. Well, remember he spent some time in Kansas City, where Mike Kafka was. So there's definitely a connection there with the Giants' offensive coordinator. So, you know, depending upon how strong that connection is and how strongly Kafka feels about him, that could potentially delay Bellinger overtaking him on the depth chart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he has plans, I'm sure, wow. in utilizing him. But again, I'm sure he's got to produce. Let me make something clear, though. If Ricky Seals Jones doesn't produce, I'm sure Bellinger's going to get a shot real quick. But I think they will Absolutely. give they will give Ricky Seals Jones every opportunity to try to hold off Bellinger for as long as he can, if for no other reason that he's got experience and he knows the uh, the OC. I you know I, I mean it would be foolish to just automatically say it's Bellinger's job right off the bat. Well, and the other thing is Ricky Seals-Jones is more proven in terms of what he could do as a receiver in this league. Bellinger was not utilized as a big-time receiver in college. That doesn't mean that he can't continue to blossom into that, but I think if you're the coaching staff, I think you want to develop him a little bit more in that area, so maybe you still utilize Ricky Seals-Jones at the beginning as more of the receiving threat at that position when you want to run plays involving that. I think the best thing for the caller to understand is that I'm sure – that Bellinger was drafted to be an all-around tight end, and I'm sure they have big plans for him, and I'm sure he's the tight end of the future. I don't think there's any doubt about that. How much of the present he is probably depends upon how quickly he picks things up and what his rise is. If he just comes out like gangbusters and has a phenomenal preseason, they may have no choice but to start at week one. That, that could happen, I suppose. Never know. You never know. 
it's going to be a wild card based on what we see, of course, in the preseason. But we've been emphasizing this on this program. If you look at the snap counts and how Bill's tight ends were utilized, I think that it's going to be, as Jeff hinted at, it's going to be piecemeal. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if one guy in particular plays 80 to 90% of the snaps. Unless, of course, somebody gets hurt that we didn't anticipate it. But if there's three or four guys that are available, I think they're going to mix and match, depending on the play or depending on the opponent. And what they think they need. They may need a blocking tight end against one opponent mm -hmm. to help the offensive line or to emphasize the run game. Next opponent may be more of an air raid. So now they want the receiving threat. Could vary from game to game. Remember, I think that's how it's going to play the, out. The tight end position is a, is one that they play a lot of special teams because there's that type of player. You need a tight end. It's big guys, you know, for blocking. They can cover kicks. They can block in field goals. They can get on the punt team. So, I mean, you're going to want those three guys active every game. But like you said, Lance, there might be a situation where they only need two that day, you know, because the personnel packages they're going to use are, are not necessarily going to be uh, necessary to have a third tight end in there where they might need a, another another cornerback or or another position on the play on the team to be able to take that roster spot for that game. You just never know. So that's the how that's how these things work anyways. You never know who the, the the roster is not consistent on a game to game basis. It's up and down, guys off the practice squad, guys sitting down, there's injuries, you know how it works. But the tight ends, they they're an integral part of special teams. Just like linebackers, okay? And those corners and wide receivers. Those are your guys that play special teams. The, the, the big fat guys, they don't. They, I mean, they, <laughs> they, they sit there, they play, they play their position. They play, you know, on field goal, field goal block. That's what they, they love that down there. Just, you know, big guys just, you know, knocking heads, but they don't see them running down on kickoffs. That's for sure. Although I did see Justin Cuck, Tuck on his rookie year running down on he kickoffs. Did. He did. He really did. <laughs> exactly. Well, but he was a rookie, keep in mind. Exactly. That, yeah. well, he did that yeah. one year. That's it. Hell of an athlete, too. <laughs> yeah. Then all of a sudden you start going to her your position, yeah. and then they don't utilize you much on special teams That's under right. the circumstances. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. All right, that is going to wrap up Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate everybody tuning in. We'll be back up and running again on Friday at noon Eastern. Today's episode of Big Blue Kickoff Live, part of the Giants platforms everywhere and Giants.com slash podcast. For Paul Latino and Jeff Fiegels, I'm Lance Meadow. Stay locked to Giants.com for all the latest, and we'll speak to you on Friday right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Have a good one.